You know, Michael, one of the things that I think is such an incredible time waster in companies is meetings. I think meetings can be effective, but I watch again and again and I hear again and again from our clients about meetings that are ineffective. I'm sure you've got a couple, but I'll tell you one that comes to mind. I was told about a meeting in which this company regularly said they made all their decisions by consensus. And so I was asked them, how do they make all their decisions by consensus? Because it's not typically the sign of an effective meeting. They said, well, what we do is we ask who agrees with that decision. If you agree, you stay in the room. If you disagree, you leave the room. And then they record that every single person in the room, uh, they have 100% support for the decision. That's just one example that I can think of and one of the reasons we want to talk today about meetings and why they can be so ineffective and time wasters and how they can be more effective. But how about you? What are some of your meeting frustrations? I heard about the worst meeting today. I was facilitating this company. Part of the topic was about doing meetings, so I was running through some of the things that we like to have in place. And one of the participants said, I tried last week to get our meeting back on track. We go down a rabbit hole. We were talking about stuff. We were way over time. We had still a lot of material to get through. I said, let's let's get back on track, can we? Can we leave that for later? And the owner of the firm who was in the room said, if you don't like it, just get out. Now, as he's telling me this, I'm waiting for a laughter or something or someone to get in. That is exactly how it was, it was handled. Uh, he was told to leave the room. And that was how they slightly different than what you're saying. Uh, it's if you don't agree with us running over time and not sticking to the agenda, get out. High confrontation. High confrontation, absolutely. Everyone has meetings, but people think they run the greatest meetings. When you actually look at it and the impact it has on people, they really don't necessarily follow a lot of the best practices, shall we say. Or even just, let's not even talk best practices, let's just talk, uh, follow some simple rules that make it the best use of time. And I shared this one with people today. I said, so we've got uh, nine people in the room, don't say this out loud, but uh, calculate everyone's hourly wage, multiply it by the three hours that we're going to be here, and make sure that we make the best use of that investment. And that A lot of them had to really think about that. They didn't think about a meeting as costing something, and it cost quite a lot of money in this particular case. So that was, uh, that was some of what I did today that gave me some insights on, on meetings. And you're so right about time. I think it's something like five out of eight hours a day people spend in meetings. So, uh, and yet there often is not the output that can rationalize that time invested. We're going to be a little more stream of consciousness today. We, we, we've both recently had some meetings. Well, we're often in meetings, often facilitating them, but sometimes just members. So we're just going to start with some of the things that we've noticed, you know, over the days, weeks, months uh, of meetings that we've attended and we're just going to share those with you and, and try and pick up all the points that we think are relevant to help you analyze your meetings and improve them. So what I think be great today to cover is some of the things that make meetings effective, what makes them ineffective, and let's try and sprinkle some practical techniques as we go along. So what are some of the things you look for, Michael, in an effective meeting? Well, the first thing is, if there's no written agenda, I almost don't want to show up. Because that means we're meeting because, well, we always have a monthly meeting. Or we always get together every three months. Or whatever it happens to be, it's felt to be an obligation. Probably the second one, and it's one I've learned from you over the years. If there's more than 15 people in a meeting, it's a two-hour meeting, my chances to speak are pretty small. There's too many voices in the room, and there's not enough time. And I might avoid that meeting 
I might say, oh, I've got something else. Can I get the notes afterwards? Tell me what the action list is. Tell me if I need to do something. And if there are maybe six or fewer people for a two-hour meeting, I'll definitely go because I've got a greater chance of having some impact on what we're discussing. So I will look at, for an effective meeting, is one where I think my voice can actually be heard. Now, I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, I often call more meetings than I get called to. And if you're a junior person in a firm, you may not have that. But you can be you can be revolutionary, shall we say, and find some interesting ways to get out of meetings that you think aren't going to be effective. And there's one of them. How many people are attending and how long it's going to be? I might offer one more. Are there specific questions identified either in the agenda or perhaps in the introductory email that says what we're going to talk about? Lots of people have standing agenda items which means we're just going to go over some stuff that maybe there's an issue there, maybe there's not. If you've got five questions that we absolutely have to answer and they're meaty questions that deal with an issue and we're going to have a meeting on those and we have to answer them, that's going to be probably a very good meeting. I like to attend those. I think those are great points. I'll build on a few of those with some of the things that I really enjoy and look for in effective meetings. I like to see on the agenda if the item is for your information, for your input, or for your decision. Related to that is the fact that a good meeting is 70% for your input or for your decision. So it's not having someone stand at the front of the room and talk at people for an hour and a half with presentation after presentation. It is, even though there might be the town hall and the big picture, there should be some really questions to which people genuinely seek input. Coming back to the overall design of the meeting. Therefore, you really want to focus in on if it is a for your input item, I think to your point, Michael, it should say right under that, what is the question that I genuinely want input on? So it's not that someone's giving an entire presentation and then they say any input and you don't know if they want input on the font and did it show up well or they want input about the implementation plan. Instead, you want input on what are the pros and cons of us taking that action and moving that forward? What are the obstacles we might encounter when we look at putting that implementation plan into place. On a really good agenda, there is clear definition of if we're going to be information, input, or decision, and what those questions are. Which means the design of your meeting should be something you think about as opposed to, it's the third Thursday of the month and it's one o'clock, we should have a meeting. There has to be some design, and you're right, that, that makes it effective. If you're having a meeting, we should be making some decisions. Maybe sometimes it's just input for others to make decisions, but it shouldn't be a for your information meeting. If, if, if all of it is for your information, thank you. I would say, I know how to read, send it to me in writing. You don't need to talk at me. We've all been in meetings where leaders have essentially pulled out paper and read from it or read the slide on the screen. Those aren't particularly helpful. And, and I'll build on that when you say, you know, you can send it to me in writing. There's one company I know where the president actually videotapes and streams a bi-weekly message. So all the key messages are sent out, but they're sent out in a short video clip. So they can hear the tone, they can hear her enthusiasm, they can hear the key points, but that's how they get their foreign, their information items out, not in a meeting. Which is great. It's, it's almost the same as being there, but it adds a little more human touch. When we come back to the idea of input, it makes me think of making decisions from something we call triangle time versus circle time. The idea is that in every meeting, there uh, should be times for input. We call that circle time. Everyone is equal. There's no one saying, no, you can't say that. That's a dumb idea. All ideas are welcome. We are essentially gathering input or 
on how we might make a decision or to answer a question that's been posed. That's very valuable time. And then we talk about at some point there will be a triangle in the room. Now for us, what does a triangle mean? It means there's someone in the room either by um, authority, let's say um, by org structure, most senior person in the room, but it could be the person with the most expertise in the area that this question that we're answering is aimed at, an IT person, an engineer, something like that, that will be tasked with making a decision. Triangle people can then go, thanks for the input. We're going to move out of circle time. And now where I'm going to go and make a decision, or perhaps I've even already made a decision. Now let's talk about implementation. And to move from one to the other is very effective. The problem is that a lot of meetings, someone will come in and, and pretend that they haven't made a decision. They're asking for buy-in, a phrase I particularly hate, because it means we've already made a decision and we just want you to agree with it, versus input, which is do you have ideas? And where you have looking for buy-in, uh, it becomes pretty clear that the decision's been made. We're just hoping people line up with it. It'll give some confidence, hopefully, to the person who's made the decision that they've done the right thing. It tends to backfire. And we sometimes call that even fake circle time. So you're pretending it's input, but it isn't. To have a good meeting, you need to prepare for a good meeting. And to prepare for a good meeting, you need to sit down at least three days before and think about what are the objectives for the meeting. So at the end of the meeting, what do we want to get? There might be an item that's for your information. And so the objective might be we have a shared understanding of what are the most significant frustrations that our clients currently have with this product. So that might be a four-year information. But then there might be two objectives that we want to get input on the obstacles that are going to be associated with our implementation plan. And the other input item might be that we gather your perspectives on the pros and cons of these two products and to pick which one we're going to go first. And then there might be a fourth and final objective, which is a decision that we need to make and that we will decide what is going to be the best time to launch product X. So when I see the agenda that, to your point, needs to be written, I can see clearly what we should get done by the end of the meeting. And it also lines up nicely to, at the start of the meeting, reiterating that objective, but at the end of the meeting, asking people if we've achieved those objectives, and if not, what else do we need to do? But likewise, I think a lot of times people get bogged down with this whole notion of minutes after meetings, and there's all this work. We find that if you follow those points, you can make it as simple as having a flip chart with the four objectives and noting the output, or my more preferred is I usually have two flip charts, one that says next steps and one that says decisions. And all we do at the end of the meeting is make sure we have clarity on the next steps with a name and a timeline beside it. And for decisions we have in writing, the decisions we have made today, someone can, everyone can just take a picture of those two flip charts. They are done and it is crystal clear what became of the meeting. So just in case you haven't noticed it, you've probably heard some snap crackle pop in the background and we're meeting in a house that has no furnace. So we've lit the fire to try and keep us warm while we complete this podcast. Please don't be alarmed. I think often people will take their own minutes or their own notes and walk away from them. You need something common. You need something that everybody sees and they understand not just what I'm doing, but what everyone else is doing as well. In the absence of that, you can have some gaps. So I think that's important. We've talked a lot about people and in, in referencing them as we're talking about meetings. Attendance at meetings, who should you get to come to a meeting? And I think that's something that often is overlooked. You may have an agenda, you may have good questions, but do we have the right people in the room to answer the questions? I think needs to be thought of. So you've got people who perhaps for part of the meeting, there's some relevance, there's some things they can speak to. 
But often I've seen a lot of meetings where some people will look like Spiro the cat that's with us in the room today, uh, sleeping. I suppose if Spiro was human, Spiro might be doing emails, doing some notes up and getting some general work done that has nothing to do with the meeting. And that's what we see. People will check out because nothing to do with me. It's not my topic. And I think that's the fault of the person organizing it. If you've got a two-hour meeting and there's 15 minutes for one person, perhaps has there's some relevance to their uh, experience and what they can bring to the table, they shouldn't sit there for two hours. You should either have a separate meeting or you should have a series, let's call it, of uh, meeting segments where, okay, we're going to talk about this for half an hour, then you're excused because we're going to go on to other topics. Stay if you'd like, but we don't think we'll need your expertise. We'll call you if we need you. And go on from there. And then uh, rather than sleeping through meetings, like some people do, they'll go back to their desk and they'll do some things that are that are important. I know, Spiro. Bring that to a comment that was made today was, well, well should we have someone just looking after the process of the meeting? Absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of people who are just doing, they just want to do all content. And the person running the meeting is doing the content of the meeting as well, which means they don't look at the clock. They don't pay attention. Is everyone participating they don't make sure we're having closure and moving on. And added to that, they also have a huge ownership to the outcome of the item. So they won't be a neutral chairperson. And I think a lot of people know from boards of directors, etc., your chair is neutral and is not making motions, is not even voting. They are a neutral facilitator of the meeting. And likewise, your chair of the meeting should be. And I often coach presidents and managers that if that's the item that you're passionate about is talking about the marketing campaign for next year, you can't be chairing the meeting for that item. You need to pass it to someone else so that you can now become a passionate and engaged advocate because that's a very different role than facilitating and chairing the meeting. So if we go back to our triangle circle, you need someone who's the triangle in the room just on process. They're disinterested in the outcomes. They're merely interested that we follow due process. Everyone gets heard. Questions are answered, timelines are respected, and then we move on. And that should be someone who's, if you like to think about roles in, in an organization, maybe it's an engineering meeting, and maybe you have someone from HR come in who you know and respect and understands to a degree, but doesn't need to get into the, gra- the, the, the ins and outs, the grassroots, the nitty gritty of the topic. There will be more, more concerned with process. Think about doing some things like that, and that will improve, I think, a lot of meetings for people. Let's also talk about some other uh, points around time, and I want to make three related to time. The first one is that all the time does not need to be spent with everyone in a large group discussion. That, in fact, it can be very effective to turn and have people in pairs each offer two ideas relative to that. It changes the energy, it enables everyone to engage, and you actually get many more ideas in a much shorter period of time. The second one around time is having a timekeeper, and that there is much more effective if you say that we're gonna vote in 15 minutes about which product we are gonna launch first, A or B. In advance of that, we're gonna spend the next 15 minutes, I wanna hear everyone speak to what would be the pros of launching A first, and what would be the pros of launching B first and vice versa on the cons. Then you have someone time that and you literally have a timer that everyone can see that's 15 minutes. Now at the end of that, yes, we could talk for another 45 minutes about it, but at the end of 15 minutes, we're gonna vote. And so that's the second way that people could use time more effectively. Third one is to shorten the meetings in general. Instead of an hour, making it 45. And one organization we work with, and I love this idea and I've stolen it and used it in other places, Their meetings end at the quarter to the hour, not at the hour. And the last 15 minutes, everyone has time 
to do the initial actions they have been assigned. Instead of running off, everyone, if you need to look that up or you're in charge of sending someone the email or whatever, we spend the last 10 minutes just in silence, people doing their work, and then we go on to the next thing. And I think that using time effectively makes meetings much more effective. Back to your point about uh, voting, nothing freaks people out more than you suggest. Well, why don't you just vote on it? Uh, people love to talk about consensus, and, and we always mention that consensus has to be the worst possible decision-making technique because everyone has to agree, which is great if you're deciding where we're going for lunch, not so good if you're talking about how to do a product launch. There are people in the room who should have more say than others, so to have consensus doesn't work. And perhaps voting is a little too divisive for people, but I think what people tend to forget, there's probably people in the room that aren't going to agree completely with what's been decided anyway. Voting at least is faster. It gets things done and doesn't necessarily provide problem. It all depends on how you how you run things. We can take an initial vote and maybe it's a, a five to two and you're thinking, okay, so that tells us we're in the right direction with this idea. You know, the two folks who perhaps disagreed, how could we get you on side with this? How could we improve this in such a way that you might go, okay, yeah, now I could really support that. And, and by doing so, maybe you pull out some ideas from the dissenting camp, not in a negative way, but in a way that says, hey, if we missed a couple of things, we can make it better. We might get seven yeses and zero noes. So it can be a tiered or a a phased approach, but voting could give you just a quick uh, a quick sense of where the room's at on issues. And let me build on that and say that dissension is a factor of a high-performance team. If you are not actively talking about different perspectives and sharing that, I don't actually agree with that, Michael, I see it this way, and you aren't actually bringing out those differences, then you are unlikely looking at things as effectively as you could. Somehow, somewhere, people got this idea that we all have to constantly agree and we don't. We just have to disagree respectfully. And a good meaning should bring out dissenting viewpoints. And so I'd far rather hear, I'd like to hear why you might disagree with that. Or I'd love to ask questions like, what will our most skeptical staff say if we go through with this idea? What will our most on-the-fence customers think if we do this? And bring the dissenting voices both from outside but also inside Dissension is an incredibly healthy thing, and we need to do much more of it to be able to have effective meetings. I always tell people I coach that if things have gotten to the point that people won't tell you when they disagree with you or what they think you're doing wrong, you're in a really bad spot because now you aren't going to hear things you need to hear. Same goes for meetings because you may think you've got what we call the public compliance. Everyone's saying, yes, let's follow that, and they get outside the room and go, dumb idea, not a hope. When it comes to meetings, I don't necessarily think there's much difference between a face-to-face uh, and I'll say a Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting or something where we can see each other. I think that they're quite similar and I think you should set them up the same way. We've had a couple of very, I'll say, you know, very tech-savvy companies where Zoom was used you know, very well. There were people in a room and there was a, a, an automated uh, ro- robotic camera that would, would, would move around when people were talking. We could see the people who were remotely across the country. You know, It all worked very well. It felt like you were in the same room. So I didn't see the need for too much difference in terms of agenda or setup. A little more facilitation required, perhaps, to make sure that people get called in. But when you're on screen, of course, you can't go away and make coffee or pet the cat or do any of those sorts of things. It, it, it demands you be there, much like if you were there in person, I think. So I would agree with you. I think that certainly if I have a preference, I would go with the webinar over a conference call for all those reasons and the visuals, etc. It does make it very effective. 
I think that there's a lot of value to um, webinars or at times even a phone meeting because you eliminate travel, you eliminate all the other elements and you can just focus. So if the meeting is less than a half hour in length, I think that there is, you know, it's hard to rationalize getting in a car and driving somewhere to do the meeting. It can be still have an agenda, still have a meeting. If it is more than a half hour in length, there are many that I've done yeah, that are even two hours in length that can be a webinar or Zoom. It's very effective. But people have to remember when they do those that you still need to build in things such as with the technology, you can still have people go into breakouts and you can set up the technology so that three people are in one breakout room and three other people are in another breakout room. They can be all over the country and they have their time to chat and then share. And so it is critical that those meetings have as much room for input and discussion as they do when you are face-to-face. -face. We are so lucky with the technology we have and I think it's sad that it is underutilized and we certainly could reduce not just ineffective meetings but the time wasted driving to a meeting there's so much more we could all be doing to improve to just talk to briefly because i've it generally doesn't work well for me but just the last week or so it has worked quite well people will say listen i'm going to phone into the meeting and it's voice only and often the case because it's very hard to sometimes hear and the technology hasn't been set up people aren't too engaged. So you've got someone on the phone and you have to keep checking. Are you still there? Oh yeah, I'm here. They don't necessarily speak all the time. You're not sure how part of the meeting they are. Though I did have an exception the other day and the person was there. They spoke to every point. They would sort of uh, verbally hold their hand up to make sure they got a chance to, to input into it. So it can work well with the right motivation, but I, I find phone meetings or phone-ins where the technology doesn't really support it that well and it's not really uh, well facilitated can cause a lot of issues. I'd be very careful about doing that. Uh, it, it Often you're not getting the full benefit and it's distracting. One of the things I'll also share, and it's just for all of us to challenge our beliefs, but I generally find that if someone's going to say, I really want a face-to-face -face meeting, they're likely a baby boomer because baby boomers do prefer the face-to-face. -face. They like to see the person, etc. Uh, a lot of the Gen X and millennials are very comfortable and do not feel a need to see the person to experience the person. It's a Snapchat sort of uh, equivalent. And so at times just check your biases because they may be age related. And I think we all have a lot to learn from how the different generations like to meet and communicate. So I think in, in summary, some of the things that we're saying is that it's really critical to have really clear objectives for what the meeting's about, have the objectives and the agenda in writing, preferably sent in advance. In advance, because you should have questions that are meaty enough that you want people to be reflecting on them and thinking about them before they arrive. I think some of the things that you've shared, Michael, and I love your point about you need to make sure you've thought about who's gonna chair the meeting and can they be objective and can they uh, follow through? I think we talked about it's really clear as you do an item. Is it for your information? Is it for your input? Is it for your decision? The decision does not mean to be consensus. That at the end of the meeting, it should be clear next steps and action items, and they can be as clearly written on a flip chart that anyone can capture. And that one of the ways you know you run good meetings is you have good attendance. But the other thing is there's nothing wrong with doing an old-fashioned evaluation at the end and saying, what did we do well today? 
Where did we waste time today? What should we try and do differently for the next time? Because it is an art to run a great meeting and it's an area where we can all be improving. And I think it's a great tool for those people, and we do know them, who think they run great meetings. Maybe not everyone agrees with them. Uh, you should be open-minded enough and, and courageous enough to be able to hear that feedback that may or may not agree with you. So I think you've got to ask those questions and you've got to be prepared to uh, hear some possibly unpleasant things, but, but take action to approve them. So this has been Ann Birmingham and Michael House from TWA Consulting with Spear the Cat. And we are professional facilitators, but we're also consultants that help companies deal with change, help teams be more effective, help uh, improve performance. And anytime you'd like to talk to us about your meeting, show us an agenda, discuss issues, we are always ready to buy the coffee. Thanks.